0: John, that that was good. We won't replay it, but that was a good bumper. Um, But I'm so excited that you're here. I I wanted to say just a a few things, and now I'm a pastor, so you're like, of course you want to say a few things. But I want to say a few things before we jump into the message. I think it's just important to acknowledge, um, I think God is moving uh, among us. I think it's important to acknowledge that first and foremost. But for many of us, depending on kind of your church background, for some of us, we grew up with the idea that worship is the appetizer. And the sermon's kind of the meat. Like, okay. And some of you maybe even skipped the music in your previous church experience. I'm sure you never have done that here. But you skipped the this, the music just to get to God's word. And, and if you think about it, as we were singing, as we were worshiping, I hope that you sensed that worship is not an appetizer, that the, that the message I'm about to bring is not the meat or uh, the vegetables, depending on your persuasion of your diet. Uh, but all that to say, it's all the meat, it's all the vegetables, it's all the everything else you can think of, because wherever God is and wherever we choose to worship Him, that is the main thing. That's the biggest part. So I just wanted to say that and make sure you understand that as the church and you know and we are blessed with so many incredible musicians and leaders and people who are passionate about worship, even in our church. And uh, I just don't want to skip over that. So I hope that you hear that. hope that you sense that. I'm sure that was like preaching to the choir, but I just wanted to say it. I wanted to get it off my chest. Sound good? All right, we can move on. So uh, I don't know in our world or or even in your personal world how you respond to the idea of injustice or brokenness in your family or brokenness in the world itself. But here's what I know. Whenever I encounter injustice, whenever I encounter something that's not the way it should be, often my first go-to is to complain about it. Anybody else ever admit that, yeah, normally when something bad happens, I'm I'm the complainer, okay? At least a couple honest. I love it. Uh, For the rest of us, though, it at least crosses our mind to complain. Now, you may vent to a friend and complain. You may post on Facebook and complain. You may uh, change who you're gonna vote for, and that's kind of your official way of complaining or whatever, like, but when I look at our world and see, there are many injustices around us. I mean, it doesn't take very long to kind of survey the news or survey even your own family or even your own workplace and just see there's a lot of things that are not the way they're supposed to be. So so as you bump into that, I uh, it's funny, when I complain often, I realize a couple days later, like three or four days later, how foolish my complaining really was and how out of context it really was. This has never been more true than when people complain about food and do restaurant reviews online. I don't know if you've seen any of these. They're quite funny. I want to show you one. It kind of summarizes uh, how we often respond to an injustice like a pizza. And so this is the man responding Yo, I ordered a pizza and came with no toppings on it or anything, it's just bread. Domino's responds, "We're sorry to hear about this. Please let our friends know this so they can help." He responds, "Never mind. Open the pizza upside down." <laughs> like, I love that. I don't know why I love that so much. I just love it because often uh, I can relate. Right? There's things in my life. I'm like, I can't believe Domino's presented this pizza and it's ups- Like it's messed up and it was upside down like there's so many things in my life even when it comes to injustice or brokenness in our world in which i kind of i kind of think it's like that now when you experience injustice or you experience our world being broken in some way for many of us the response is not just compl- complaining but internally The feeling of frustration, like I can't do anything about it. I don't know what to do, even if I was going to do something. Maybe it's sadness or depression around, man, I I can't believe our world is this way. Or disappointment. Maybe other people have been unjust to you, and you face disappointment when it comes to those issues. And I want to wrestle with the question this morning as we continue on in the story of Nehemiah, how do we respond to injustice? If we all would agree, and I think we all would, that that our world as it is right now is not the way God intended it to be, there's not perfect peace, there's not shalom, there's not this wholeness that God created the world with in Genesis 1, then what do you and I do about that? How do we actually respond to the injustice in our world? And as I said before, we've been tracking with this character, this, this story in the scriptures of Nehemiah a guy who was about a 1,000 miles away from his hometown but but overheard and sent some people to find out, hey, how is Jerusalem? They come back with a report that is incredibly negative, as in, yeah, Jerusalem's not doing so well. I mean, the entire city is in ruins, the gates are burned up, there's ash, the people are living in fear, there's insecurity, people are living close to the wall, aren't even sure, am I gonna be the next victim of an attack? And there's a lot of problems in Jerusalem. Now when Nehemiah hears this, he begins to weep, he begins to mourn and then he prays to God and God gives him a burden. God gives him a a deep and real passion to make something right in Jerusalem. And so he packs up his belongings, he gets a group of guys and he takes some of his money with him and he heads out to Jerusalem to begin this construction project to rebuild this wall. And as I look at the story of Nehemiah, I see common themes, but one of the things we studied about last weekend was that Nehemiah starts to face opposition, that in the midst of Nehemiah obeying what God wanted him to do, he not only looked foolish, he not only had to fully lean on God's power, but there was also very real attack and people plotting. Now, It started with harassment and it started with insult and turned into a murder plot against Nehemiah. Now, luckily, uh, because the rest of the story continues on as you read, that didn't go as planned. But in Nehemiah 5, I want you to look at verse 1 with me and look what else happens because the attack moves from being outside and kind of outside the camp, other nations, other armies kind of poking fun and then plotting to kill, and it moves to an inside job. And you've probably had moments like that, where there's stuff in your life that feels like, yeah, other people are attacking, or the culture's difficult around this issue. But then there's moments where it's like interpersonal, and it's your spouse, it's your best friend, it's your church, it's your community, it's your workplace, it's people that you thought you could trust that actually begin to attack you from the inside. And so I want to look right away at verse 1, and here's kind of where we pick up the story. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. These are, again, neighbors. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and just stay alive, we have to get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. We immediately kind of get peeked, uh, peek into the story that during this rebuilding project, there was a famine. People were literally going hungry without food. Verse 4, still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Nehemiah responds in verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very Angry. Nehemiah continues to live out of that place of a burden, of a passion, to see things right, even though they're unjust in the moment. Now, what's interesting is there's a lot of cultural things taking place. I mean, you read the word slavery, and we think back to our own nation's history. Maybe we think about uh, human trafficking. Even the largest slavery movement in our world currently exists in human trafficking. As you think about those kind of things, this is different than that. What's happening here is that whenever someone in Jewish culture was in in debt to someone else, part of the agreement, part of the way they worked that out was basically letting their kids serve in the other guy's household. Basically becoming a servant or a butler, if you will, and that's what's kind of happening. But the Jews are turning one another in on themselves. They're hungry, which being hangry is never a good thing for success. I, my wife can attest to that. Never do things go very well when you're really, really hungry. And you kind of keep playing it out. And then as the Jews were turning in one another, they had economic pressure from the king. The tax rate was continuing to go up, and the people that always feel economic and social and even food-related pressure are the people on the bottom, and that's true in our society as well. The people that are on the margins or the most oppressed are normally the poorest among us, and when you have a mixture of of incredible hunger, of famine, uh, debt and taxes, and your kids being enslaved, that's just not a recipe for a good rebuilding project to keep moving along. Like, Nehemiah has some very real attacks going on from the inside, but I love Nehemiah's response. If you're like an underliner or circler in your Bible, this is something to, to dwell on. In verse six, Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I think too often we look at the injustice in our own world we don't always respond that way. We may respond with anger. There may be things that really tick us off and begin to burn us up inside, but often our response is not very similar to how Nehemiah does it. If you keep reading in verse 7, he says this, I pondered them in my mind, He's talking about the charges, the injustice, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. <laughs> I love that. He's a take charge kind of guy. Verse eight, and said, as far as possible, we've bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you were selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Verse nine. So I continued, what you are doing is not right, it's unjust. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I... And my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses. And also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. I love their response. Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds. This is so weird. for shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, God, shake out the house of their possessions and anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied at this, the whole assembly said, "Amen!" and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. There's some weird cultural things happening here. Let's just acknowledge that, okay? Uh, I will never, I promise, get up here and shake out a robe of any sort. I, I can assure you, that just won't happen as long as I get to lead here. Uh, but that happens here. Uh, Nehemiah is essentially kind of publicly displaying this oath that he's telling these people who had ripped their fellow Jews off, say, "You're going to go before God now. You're accountable." Like I'm going to do whatever I can as a person in leadership, a person like Nehemiah who had incredible influence. He's part of this rebuilding project but came from a wealthy government and was sent with financial backing. He points them back to God and then he does what he can. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about facing and responding to injustice in our world is pointing back to God and just doing what you can. Often that it can be, that simple. And I love that in this passage, Nehemiah uses his influence to serve. Now all of us in this room would probably not say we're, we're a real leader. Like you look at the presidency or you look at other uh, kind of positions in our world and say, yeah, that, that person's a leader. The guy who owns Amazon, yeah, he's in Jeff Bezos. He's in some way a leader in, in the marketplace. Donald Trump is a leader of our country. You can go through all of those lists but you may not feel like a leader. You may not feel like someone who has a lot of power or authority in our world, but I bet you all have one thing in common. Even if you don't feel like a leader, all of us have influence. It may not be over a massive company, it may not be over a full-on government, but all of us have a kid, a friend, employees, people that we work around or work with, all of us have influence, and Nehemiah uses his influence here in chapter 5 to serve. And I think it's an important lesson for us to learn really, really early. Now, if you followed Christ for a really long time, you understand this. If you followed Christ for a couple days, you probably already understand this, and all of us have been the recipients of this truth, but you are never more like Jesus than when you're serving You're never more like him because the ultimate picture of the good news is that Jesus came and laid down his life. He served. He did things that other leaders, other rabbis had not done with their leadership and had not done with their influence. He laid it down and we're never more like Jesus then we're serving. I'm reminded of that t- today because today, we didn't have to set up this room. <laughs> and uh, we're a mobile church, as you probably have already grasped. These beautiful flowers are not my art. They are other people's art. And uh, we have the blessing of using this facility throughout the year and have been here for a couple of years. But as we set up and tear down, there's a group of people throughout the year, when it's like below freezing and blowing snow, that they show up here at 6 AM to set this up so that you can have a place to worship. I think that's incredible. And I think when I think about that, those people who've committed to do stuff like that are never more like Jesus than when they're setting up chairs and shoveling snow. Not because it's like the most hyper-spiritual thing ever, because when you're doing it, I just, I tend to complain. <laughs> like, can I just be honest? I, I don't always serve with an overflowing, gratuitous heart. But all that to say, when you look back over your life, the things that really shape you Year over year is whether or not you've chosen to use your influence to serve, to lay down your life for other people. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. I think about this because I love studying the business world. I'm I'm a pastor, but I'm really intrigued by things that work well in business. Or many of us—I mean, I'm assuming all of us—come from a marketplace background. Are currently serving in business and using our gifts and leveraging our abilities in the business world. Uh, But one of my kind of heroes in leadership or in the business world is a guy named Max Dupree. Now we know him because he's from West Michigan and he's the CEO and was the founder of Herman Miller, a huge company and he just died a couple years ago and lived in Zealand up until that time. Now Max Dupree is famous for saying this quote that for me really reminds me of what it means to be a leader with influence. He says this, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you and in between the leader's a servant. (laughs) I love that because that is incredibly true, not just in the business world, but it's true in, in the spiritual world as well. Wherever you have influence, uh, your job is not just to define reality. Nehemiah does that. Nehemiah says, How is the wall? Okay, let's find out, let's get the facts. And then he goes and sees it himself and says, Okay, we need to rebuild this wall. And in the midst of all of that, he's thanking God, he's interceding, but all the space in between, the end of Nehemiah and the very beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah Nehemiah's a servant. He's using his influence to serve. We'll see how that plays out in just a moment. But uh, one of the things I love is how this chapter kind of wraps up. If you skip ahead to verse 17, uh, Nehemiah writes this, that after becoming governor... So Nehemiah, who had no power, who gets elevated to this place of power, becomes the most powerful person in Judah. In verse 17 says that, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food Allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Nehemiah throws like the best buffet you've ever had. <laughs> like in, that, in, a, in this context, in this culture, that was an incredibly expensive meal. And normally for a governor to invite anybody at all to his table who was outside of the royal family or outside of being an official was incredibly rare. But here that happens, and not just a couple people. There's 150, and then he includes the footnote that all the surrounding nations were invited. This would have been hundreds and hundreds of people around this table, and it's this endless feast of the best meats and the best wines. It's this banquet he throws. He goes above and beyond, and as his power increased, so did his servanthood. So as his influence went up, so did his serving and laying down his life for other people. He did something that, again, no other leader would have done in this scenario. And again, we read stories like this, like, yeah, that's incredibly spiritual, but does it even work? Like, in the practical realm that you and I live, does it actually work? And and I'm kind of nerding out on business stuff today, and I'm going to do one more little business thing, is that uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Texas. How many of you have been to the state of Texas before? Okay, perfect. Now, this, you may not have eaten here, but there's a chance you've at least seen it. Have you, uh, Jason's Deli. Jason's Deli is a massive read, uh, kind of deli and store and restaurant for the most part throughout the state of Texas as well as in a few other locations uh, around the country. Now, Jason's Deli does around $1.2 billion in annual revenue. I don't know where you work. That's pretty big. That's a good size chunk. But they noticed something is that over the years, their productivity, their performance, local employees started to decrease. Their sales were not headed in the right direction. They were facing increased obstacles and interpersonal problems in their stores and in their restaurants. And someone came up with a crazy idea. Maybe they read Max Dupree or maybe they studied Nehemiah. They said, what if our store managers and operators aimed to serve their employees? Now, it doesn't necessarily make sense in the business world. You probably haven't been around a lot of boardrooms in which that was kind of the outcome. It's like, yeah, we should serve our people more. That that just, just does not happen. But they started to do this and they began, the store managers, the operators began to serve the employees that work there. Again, this is kind of a fast food, fast casual environment. They started to serve them. They would write them thank you notes. They would be encouraging them. They would uh, go out of their way to help them with the dirty jobs and the stuff that most managers just didn't want to do. They were cleaning bathrooms alongside them. And Jason's Deli kept reporting increased performance and productivity, and the only shift they looked back to over the last couple of years was their managers and operators began to serve. 50% of the employees at Jason's Deli were less likely to quit even after multiple years of serving in like a fast food environment because they were served because the managers and operators were actually serving alongside of them. Their productivity went up, their sales went up, they increased franchise amount, like everything went up. Everything went up and to the right. And the only shift that this modern company, not a Christian company, looks back on, is like, we just started to serve our people. We just started to do things that no one else was doing. And Nehemiah does this, and we'll keep reading through Nehemiah. But the question I want you to wrestle with today is what injustice has God given you a burden for? Because maybe it's not a wall. Maybe it's not a massive construction project. Maybe you don't own a deli or a restaurant and you're like, how does this even apply to me? But I'm willing to bet that if you have any connection with God at all, that there's something that breaks your heart about our world. That there's something that when you think about it, makes your blood a little warmer. Maybe it makes you cry. Maybe it makes you choke up. Maybe it makes you think a little bit longer about it than other things. I, I would encourage you to to wrestle with that. Maybe even this morning you're already doing that and you're thinking, yeah, that's that's kind of my thing. Maybe for you it's the human trafficking issue. Maybe it's women struggling with, uh, do I have this baby or not? And if I do, what do I do after the fact? Like I don't know where to go. Maybe it's hungry kids as we serve with hand to hand. That's just kind of gotten in your bones. You're like, I don't want kids to go hungry in our community. Maybe there's other injustice or other brokenness in our world that you you sense, and God's given you a burden for it. Here's what I would encourage you to do is just to take one step today and just do something about it, because all of us have influence. You may not be a leader. You may not have a ton of authority, but what you do have is at least a little bit of influence and a little bit of power to do something with what you have. The fact that You're sitting in this room and you make the money you do or live in the place you do, means you've got at least a little bit of influence to do it with. And I was so encouraged because I sat with um, an owner of a large landscaping company here in GR, had lunch with them this past Wednesday. I was just asking, I knew he was a Christian, I said, how does that kind of affect how you lead in your business? How does that change maybe as opposed to someone who wasn't, how does that shift some of the practices? He said, you know what, one of the best things I ever did was I hired a chaplain for our business. He's got 50 employees under him and they are all over the Michigan area. Like they're just, I think they even go farther than Michigan, but they're all throughout the Midwest. And he said, that was one of the best things I ever did. And I said, Hold on. (laughs) You're saying that you hired somebody to disciple, pray, and share the gospel with your employees? He said, Yeah. I started doing that. And and they're totally cool with it. And we've seen people come to Christ and be changed. And I said, uh, In my world, it's hard to even wrap my mind around a business leader who would act more like a pastor. (laughs) Like, I just don't encounter a lot of that. You probably haven't encountered a lot of that. He was using his influence over 50 or so employees to share the gospel with them, to use his platform, to leverage the little bit of influence he had. Not the most powerful person in all the Midwest, but what he did was leverage the influence that he had. When I look at Nehemiah's story, I think about so many of us, and I have been the recipient of other people using their power and their authority and their influence to serve. And it shifted how I think about religion. shifted how I think about my own faith walk because when I'm reminded that I'm never more like Jesus when I'm serving, I think about those people. I think about you. I think about the the influence and leadership capacity that is in this room. I think about people in our church who maybe decide today, I'm going to start using my influence to serve people. Now, maybe again, you're not a business leader and trying to think, how does this apply to me? You have kids, you have friends? Again, you have employees or people that you work with. What if you began to view your job at the fast food restaurant as a way to serve people? What if you began to view your job in the industry or manufacturing or engineering thing that you do, and you maybe don't have a lot of people under you, but you maybe have one or two? What if you began to use that position to serve other people? Maybe you're in government, or you have uh, some kind of background in in health, or other things, or maybe you sell houses, or you're just interacting with people on a daily basis, what if you begin to serve those people? What if instead of serving just being something that maybe happens in this one hour on Sunday, it became something that we do all the time? You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. And I think about the potential in this room, and here's the truth, I don't want you to miss out. That's literally, when I think about this passage, and I was even praying this morning, I'm like, what, what do I want us to feel after reading Nehemiah 5? Because you'll see the rest of the story, I just don't want you to miss out. That's literally my heart, and I know that as a pastor, I've had moments where I could use my influence to serve or to be served, and to be really honest, there's a lot more times that I've done it to be served. I don't want to live that way. <laughs> I, I don't want that to be the marker of my life. I, I want to be able to say, like Jesus said, I did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And the person with all the divine privilege in the world, Jesus stepped into creation and said, I'm going to serve these people, knowing that the majority of them would reject him, knowing that the majority of, him, of them would betray and send him to a cross, knowing that they may never reciprocate the love he had for them, never returned the compassion he had for them, but he laid his life down and he served us. And we are never more like him than when we're serving. So don't miss out. Don't miss out on God using your influence. Don't miss out on the opportunity that you could have in your business or in your family or just in your small degree of influence as a high school student or a college student to serve other people. Because you and I will see God do the miraculous and when we choose not to miss out. And here's why that's so important. is because as you look at your life, the most important thing is not how much money you made. It's not going to be where you lived. You're not going to remember your car or how small your car payment ended up being. Like You're not going to remember those things that take so much of our attention on our daily lives. What you remember and what people remember about you is how you serve them not what you taught them, not how you led them even, but how you serve them and how you made them feel. That ultimately is what will, at the end of the day, matter the most. It's what you've, do, excuse me, what you've done for eternity. I wanna invite the band up because we're gonna sing a song because today, as I said, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to kind of skip over the fact that you've been given some influence and, and there's a way you can serve people in your actual daily life. And here's the key to this, because I'm bet i willing to bet, I don't know all of your story, but I'm willing to bet that you've had moments in which you've tried this or or tried to even tweak some things maybe in your influence or in your leadership, and and maybe they've lasted for just a little bit, and they haven't really gone long-term, or you didn't see any real difference in that. Because I think a lot of us operate under the assumption that we can really serve people and really love people in our own power. That's not true it couldn't be farther from the truth you will never really be able to serve and love and lay your life down for other people unless you have god's power within you unless you have his spirit and his presence we sang that all morning like if you don't have those things you just will never be able to do it it'll come from a place of of insecurity or maybe it'll come from a place of pride maybe it'll come from a place that, that you don't even know where it's coming from but you will never really be able to serve and love people unless you have god at the cornerstone of the foundation, the bedrock of your life. And that, friends, for, for so many of us would make all the difference, that subtle change, to not just see the injustice in our world, not just kind of complain and mourn over the brokenness and look at the walls that are torn down in our life, but to say, God, with your help, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to find it within myself and through the power of your Holy Spirit to make things right. And you all have influence, we all have influence, and how you leverage that makes all of the difference. If Jesus is the cornerstone of your life, you'll find that to be easier and easier because you're never more like him than when you're serving. I think one of those powerful pictures in all of the scriptures is John 13, where Jesus is, incredible vision of him stepping down and literally taking what a slave a servant would do is getting down onto his knees and and taking the disciples sandals off covered in camel dung and a bunch of other disgusting things and serving them and washing their feet whose feet do you need to wash whose whose influence do you, whose uh, kind of life with your influence could you begin to wash their feet and to serve them in a way you just never have before because you're never more like him than when you're doing that so I'd love to pray over you knowing that maybe today it feels like something that's far off maybe the injustice in our world or the brokenness in your company or your family or your marriage feels like I just I don't even know what to do with it I want to pray that God's power and presence would move in that despite that the storms of life that he would be our cornerstone so let's pray together if we can Lord I just thank you that Today I'm reminded that in your presence, as Mallory talked about earlier, there's freedom, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's restoration, but ultimately there's also power. That we can serve people from a deep well. We can love people from a deep well of of a life that's been changed by you, a life that has your Holy Spirit at work and moving among us. So God, I pray that you change our hearts, that when we see injustice, when we see walls torn down, that we wouldn't complain, that we wouldn't vent, we wouldn't just be mad, that we would actually move to action and to use our influence to serve people, even the people on the margins, even the people who are oppressed and brokenhearted. God, you would use us, you would use our church to make a real difference. God, we love you, and we place our lives in you. We stake our lives on you. We ask for you to be the cornerstone of our soul today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand as we respond to God's goodness, his faithfulness, his presence, and let's worship this God together.